0: Welcome to For Good Measure, an interview series celebrating diverse composers and other creative artists, sponsored by a grant from the California Arts Council. I'm Nanette McGuinness, Artistic Executive Director of Ensemble for These Times. In this week's episode, we continue our conversation with Juhi Bansal, who we spoke to in February 2022. You're both a composer and a conductor. How did you discover both paths for yourself? Has there been cross-pollination between composing and conducting?
1: Sure. Um, I You know, I remember reading something years ago. Essa pekka Salonen had talked about how he started conducting. And I, I just, you know, I love this because this was true for me and I think true for many composers as well. He mentioned that he wanted to make more opportunities to have his music played and the obvious way to start doing it was to learn how to conduct. And you know, do it himself. And of course, for him, it's been this incredible trajectory. Um, for me, it's much more low key than I think, um, you know, Mr. Solomon's has been. But in my case, it was that same idea of wanting to, one, make opportunities to get my music out there. Two, you know, I love, I mean, I, I love new music. I love sharing new music and I love performing other people's music. So also just getting to really, you know, as the composer, you can just kind of listen to other people's music and analyze it. But as a conductor, you really are, can be invested in it and kind of learn it inside out, which was something I always loved doing. Um, And, you know, there's something very exciting about premiering other people's work as well and putting new pieces out there for the first time. That's something I've always loved. Um, And, you know, there is so much cross-pollination back and forth, I think, you know, you learn every time you perform learn something musically learn something about composition every time you perform a new piece it really resonates with you so I know in performing new pieces and conducting new pieces I learned something from that that'll make its way into my composition and I think you know there's so much overlap between how composers think and how conductors have to think in that you're just you're so invested in the sound start to finish and you have to understand whatever piece you're doing like um, in such a hands-on way to make sense of it. I think the two really do feed back and forth.
0: Did you always know you wanted to be a composer? Oh gosh, no, not at all.
1: Um, I, <laughs> I remember when I was applying for college, we were still in Hong Kong at that point, and I had been taking you know, lots of piano lessons, and I used to take voice lessons and violin, you know, lots of musical things. Um, But I was also, I mean, I was really interested in physics and science. And at the time, I thought I was probably going to do, I was going to try to do a double major in computer science and something else. And, you know, I, I just remember looking up schools that had music programs that sounded interesting. And, this kind of off the cuff deciding, well, I think I can put together a composition portfolio. That doesn't sound all that hard. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about not knowing kind of what you're putting yourself in for. Um, it was just this very weird experience of just trying to see if I could get in for a double major for both and, you know, putting together a portfolio. And I, to this day, I have no idea how I got into USC's program for composition. <laughs> because I look at the bar that students have to make these days to get in and that wouldn't uh, you know um I truly have no idea how I got in but you know, I remember it was my first time being in the United States as well like coming from my freshman orientation and realizing that my class of composition student was four other students or three other students um <laughs> You know, And wow. everybody else had been studying composition for many years, and I was like, I, I didn't know that composition was a thing you could study. It just sounded like fun. <laughs> um, but, you know, learned very quickly, and, you know, obviously, I really loved music and was excited to do it, and um, within the first couple of years, I realized I was more interested in the work I was doing in music than in the work I was doing in computer science, so... Kind of gradually let that go, and that's been my path since. But it was not a very well planned trajectory at the start. It's kind of just finding yourself there and letting things flow as they would.
0: You're a staunch proponent of bringing new audiences into contemporary music. What have been the most effective ways you've found to bring new listeners into the contemporary music scene? Any advice for contemporary musicians or ensembles?
1: That's a great question. And, you know, I think the answer depends a little bit on who it is that you're trying to bring in. So my experience has been there's kind of two groups of people who I think are, have potential to be really interested in actually contemporary music. Just maybe they don't know it yet. One <laughs> is, I think there's this group of people who really love classical music. And when I say classical, I mean really traditional, Mozart, Beethoven, classical music, who Either have not been exposed to contemporary music yet, or they've been exposed to it, but only like one or two styles of it. That you know, th- there's the sense of what contemporary music is, which is not actually at all representative of what it is exactly. Um, and you know, it's it's a group that I think is often can often be really excited about new music, but you kind of have to figure out where they're starting from. You know, whether it's that they just haven't been exposed to new music at all, or maybe they've been exposed to some and they haven't liked the particular style or styles that they've been exposed to. And uh, I've done a couple of projects in the past where we found things like thematic programming, for example, or like, you know, hidden programming or secret programming or just something where you kind of invite people in the door without yet limiting, um, or without trying to set up any preconceived notions of what they're going to hear, just like just an idea, a theme, something to get people in the door with an open mind. I think that is often actually a really great way to bring people into new music. And the other group I would say, and this is actually probably by far the much larger group is kind of people who are not necessarily interested in classical music, whatever that means, classical music. Um, but people who listen to popular music, to folk music, to to all the like normal musics of today. One of the things I think is actually really interesting these days is that we as composers draw on so many of the same kind of tools, techniques, sounds. I think there's more crossover right now between like stage music and non-stage, non-concert music than probably there ever has been in the past. So I think there's a lot of room to get people interested in contemporary music who maybe don't care about the traditional classical music at all. And it's again, that same idea of kind of finding the points of overlap. So there's a number of projects where they'll do like film, um, either, you know, silent film type things or like film scores live that just kind of, it's one way to introduce people who maybe don't have an interest in classical music into what is being written these days for Um, by and for contemporary musicians but anything really where you can start making connections to again themes are a good idea events that are about more than just um, more than just the music on the stage just like a broader event a broader story a broader festival are great ways to get people in the door because I've been surprised how often people get interested in new music once they hear it It's just getting that first hurdle. You just got to get them to hear it the first time and find something that they like.
0: Those are great, great ways to do it. I think the separation between the concert stage and every other music that's made is a very 19th century artificial concept. And before that, we didn't have a sense of really classical music versus popular music. I mean, there was a range, but the same musicians were doing it. So it's, in a sense almost like we're returning more to what it used to be
1: i think it's about time even you know it's so interesting (laughs) we're having this conversation online you and i and this is going to be put digitally this is kind of in a little microcosm exactly what we're talking about there is no stage there is just conversations about music and music and how people discover that i I think it's actually a really exciting time to try to bring new audiences in Mm.
0: Thank you for listening to For Good Measure and a special thank you to our guest, Juhi Bansal, for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast by clicking on the subscribe button and support us by sharing it with your friends, posting about it on social media and leaving us a rating and a review. To learn more about E4TT, our concert season online and in the Bay Area, or to make a tax-deductible donation, please visit us at www.e4tt.org. This podcast is made possible in part by a grant from the California Arts Council and generous donors like you. For Good Measures, produced by Nanette McGinnis and Ensemble for These Times and designed by Brennan Stokes. With special thanks to audio engineer extraordinaire Stephanie Newman. Remember to keep supporting equity in the arts and tune in next week for Good Measure.